The opinions and views expressed on this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show or other programs on KUCI, please log on to KUCI.org for the latest program schedule. So last night was so crazy. Dude, I know. Oh, dude, I went into the bathroom. And I swear, this girl and this guy were totally on KUCI 88.9 in Irvine. You're listening to Real People of Orange County, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. This show is a fun and informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. These are people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Oh, I, gee, Heather, this is my first time to thank you for that new intro. Yeah, it's a lot better. Than Do you the last like time. it better? Yes. I still feel, I heard me being a little nasally. I was sick that day. Yeah, but I mean, it's still, it's still a really good intro. Does so. it make you want to listen more? Um, I don't know. I think the actual content makes me want to listen more. Oh, okay. But, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't want to. We don't want to disappoint when it comes to good content. But you know, we don't want to have. I think you were asleep in the first thirty seconds because you didn't like my intro every time we played it. No, it wasn't. I wasn't asleep. I went because it's hard to go to sleep. <laughs> not, not for me. I'm so sleep deprived lately, and. Um, trying to catch up so I don't I don't have a problem. I've been making my plants as I do around the holidays and my friends that, you know, buy them for their businesses or for business gifts or corporate gifts or whatnot. So I'm having fun with that. I'm staying up late um communing with, with succulents. I have no idea what that is. You don't know what a succulent is? No. Um well it's just a beautiful um plant that is easy to grow. And if you don't have a green thumb you can you can for sure have a succulent plant and you won't kill it. Oh. I guarantee you. They grow anywhere. I don't know. I'm pretty destructive. Well, the more you abuse them, the more they like it. It's kind oh. of funny. Okay. You might have a lot in common with succulents. <laughs> kind of. Like, I think so. <laughs> well, we won't go into that. But because because of my succulent plant little sideshow uh, that I do around the holidays, I'm always going into stores because I'm always looking for different places to find my little pots that I use. And um, I'm always looking for a good deal. Do you you know where some good deals are to be had on pots these days? No clue. No. Well, I just, I'm, I'm fascinated because I've been doing a lot more shopping than normal. So I'm going in and out of different department store changes or chains, uh, you know, the big, um, the uh, home centers, the, the home building stores, and going in and out of like the dollar store, places like that that I, I don't always frequent, but I think I could get addicted to. It's pretty scary. But I mean, I cannot believe the disparity in what things cost. You know, you go here and it costs six bucks and you go there and it costs a dollar. I, I just, it blows my mind. With a little bit of shopping. Oh, she's shrugging. You're not shopping these days. <laughs> no, no, not much. Uh, and usually the stuff I'm buying is, is not that expensive. Well, um, nonetheless, the dollar store fascinates me because the things that you can go in there and buy for a dollar blow me away. And I am excited today to have in the studio uh, 
a guest who's going to shed a little light on this for us because she has a special, um, well, the company that she works for has has a little special insight into the industry of uh, specialty marketing. And the company uh, that we're going to, well, the person we're going to talk to today is Tanya King. Tanya, thank you for being here today. That wasn't quite the smooth segue I thought it would be, but thank you for coming. Say hello to our listeners at KUCI. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Hello to everybody. Good. Good. I'm glad you're here. Um, Tanya's here for a lot of different reasons today, but I'm going to pick her brain a little bit at some point about um, the, the customers that she works with. The company Tanya works with is Advantage Sales and Marketing, ASM. And what's interesting about Tanya's role there is she is the, uh, she, right now you're a VP and your general counsel, secretary and ethics compliance officer. So you wear a lot of hats. I do. Yes. I, that's what my costume is going to be for Halloween. I'm going to be a woman that wears a lot of hats. <laughs> I'm going to well, have several on. I might be able to help you with that. I bet you could. Yes. So one of the things that you're here to tell us about is a little bit about your role as a general counselor of playing the role of a female in an executive side of your business. But you're going to weave a few stories in for us and tell us about how you came to the company that you're with and how your role has changed over the years that you've been there. So start us off a little bit, if you would, please. Sure, happy to. I'll tell you a little bit about Advantage Sales and Marketing overall. You're right. We have extensive experience with retailers, major retailers throughout the U.S. and Canada. And we also represent consumer packaged goods companies, over 1,200 of them. Some of the most notable ones are Unilever, Smuckers, Many of the products that you have in your pantry or you're serving tonight on your dinner table, we represent. And we do everything from post-manufacture to consumption on the sales and marketing side of the business. So we are very closely aligned with our clients to help them establish growth um, and, in essence, um, chain of distribution for their products at retail. And... I became general counsel of Advantage Sales and Marketing. I had initially started my career with an interest in uh, public interest law. Okay. I started with the public defender of Washington, D.C. Oh, how fascinating. It was a fascinating experience. Where, Where did you get your law degree? At Santa Clara University. Okay. And so after I worked for the public defender, I wanted to understand... Uh, the flip side of that role, which was the district attorney's office, and I went to work for the district attorney of Santa Clara in the White Collar Crimes Division. And it was there that I discovered that... You found your passion. I found my passion. I really enjoyed working, um, learning the business side of law. And unfortunately for some companies, white collar crime involves businesses. And I became highly interested in that and had always been told that I had good business acumen. Oh, well, that's a compliment. It was. So I, through networking, established that I really wanted an in-house job. I wanted to work as an in-house legal advisor because I knew that that would offer the additional element of allowing myself to be a business advisor as well. Oh, that's interesting because most young law students, they have the dream of wanting to go out and partner with a law firm. And and you had a pretty clear vision from the beginning? Interesting. I did. And you're absolutely right. There is a lot of appeal when you're in law school and a lot of direction provided to go to work for a law firm, initially as an associate and to work through to partner level. 
And um, something I admire about the UCI law program mm-hmm. is something that was recently announced by um, Dean Cherminsky, and that is the College um, of Corporate Law that they are creating. Wonderful. Which is, I understand, going to assist people in the move from a law firm environment to an in-house role. You mean teach the students as they're coming up or to take existing attorneys and transition them? I believe they are looking at both. Okay. And that's exciting because... It is exciting. To your question, uh, the traditional route when graduating from law school is to join a law firm. And I did not take that route. And I was very fortunate to obtain an in-house position right out of law school, which is not standard. Because they don't typically take somebody that's not experienced with the outside world, or that's right. And I normally well, you... how'd you swing that then? <laughs> <laughs> uh, many people have asked that question. <laughs> I was fortunate through a networking opportunity to join a company that was a venture-backed uh, Microsoft solution partner. Oh wow! And it was during the technology boom. So you were on quite the ride when you were starting out. It was a great experience. And I was offered the experience because at the time with the technology boom, as we all recall, people were giving opportunities uh, that weren't the standard career path. Um, and it, For a lawyer, that is. Yeah, standard. For, for a lawyer, yeah. exactly. And so I was able to start my career path in-house, which was phenomenal, building a law department. Wow, that's spectacular. Now, were you under the tutelage of somebody your senior, or were you bootstrapping like everybody else in those days? I was very nervous about that when I took the position because I, having, you know, had no experience in-house, wanted to ensure that I had someone to turn to and and the oversight role that I needed as Mm -hmm. a new attorney. And the company at the time had retained a very um, well-respected law firm, O'Melveny & Myers, here in Orange County. And so I learned from O'Melveny & Myers Partners, which was wonderful. So there's so we have so many local tie-ins with you, and um, that's that's interesting. But you were up where you were up north, so I was up north for yeah. law school, and then obtained the position here. Okay, I see. All right, um, I love this show because we touch on people's lives in so many different ways, and you came to the show to me. We are going to touch on a lot of things related to women in business, and. It's a it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart because when I was in college, I was the chairman of a young entrepreneurs organization. It was called the Association for Collegiate Entrepreneurs, and as though the young the young entrepreneur in the college age was mentored, there were networking groups that were established, stair step networking groups that went on to being. Um, young executives, young presidents organization, and then the retirees or world presidents organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It's important, that role of mentor. Can you tell me about a few key people in your life? That have mentored me? Yes. Absolutely. One individual in particular was chief financial officer at my former um, company, Quick Start Technologies. Her name was Mary Hunt, and she was a notable mentor to me. She was um, always very optimistic about my opportunities. Mm-hmm. Had a lot of faith in me, provided a great direction. Right. And one of the best things I've found about having a mentor is if you if you achieve a relationship with a mentor where you believe 
you can call at any given time or have a conversation at any given time about any topic right? so that you can seize opportunities that you may not be aware of, but also help strategize on what weaknesses you may have. Right. Um, that's a phenomenal mentoring opportunity. And she always, she was very strategic in her role as chief financial officer, not just um, as a financial advisor to the organization. So I learned a lot about how to be a business strategist from her, okay. which I believe has been a huge contributor contributing factor to my success. Sure, sure. Because you're not just playing an in-house counsel role. Um, Talk to me a little bit more about your business advisory role with the company. Sure. It's what I greatly appreciate about being a general counsel of an organization. Different from a law firm, and by the way, I've worked with tremendous lawyers with amazing business acumen. So it's not to say that if you're in a law firm, you don't have that opportunity. But in-house, you are a membership you are a member of the executive team. So therefore, not only do you get to be proactive as a lawyer because you're usually engaged in the operations and the strategic discussions that occur on the leadership team, but you do have the ability to offer not only legal advice, but business advice when called on. Right. And I really enjoy that role. Um, Okay. So be specific with me about um, ASM's general counsel, the job specifically, because this is just one of the hats that we're going to talk about. Sure. It is um, a role, I I wear many hats. Well, we probably should say really quickly that ASM is a one point, uh, am I going to get this wrong? Um, A one point for a billion dollar company now. That's (laughs) right. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yes. You're not alone in there, are you? You have a big department? I have, I have a great department. Uh, we have six lawyers, okay. three paralegals, and a support staff. And we manage not only the general counsel function, but also a couple other important functions, the ethics and compliance function within the organization, which is a, a very um, important initiative and tied to the pillars of our organization for operational efficiency and compliance, and very important to our clients. And we also support the secretary function for not only the holding company, but all of its subsidiaries in the United States and Canada. Which are how many subsidiaries? We've got approximately five. Five subsidiaries. Yes. So that that's a big job. It's a big job. And um, to answer your question on what is the general counsel role, um, Day-to-day, it's issues management. We have new issues that arise. We have to be on our feet and provide quick solutions. We have dynamic legal and regulatory environments. um, That you're working on for your company, but also for each of the individual clients' companies, right? Exactly. We've got to stay abreast of what is affecting our clients. And we also have to support their initiatives at certain times um, in order to help them accomplish their goals. We have to be comfortable with a very broad range of issues. On any given day, we could be working on an acquisition, an intellectual property matter, litigation. Social media has become (laughs) a huge element of our role. Well, so how do you stay abreast with all of this? Interestingly, it's not easy. It is ever-changing. And I can tell you that social media has really blurred the lines between people's professional lives and their personal lives. Interesting. And I was just talking to a colleague. We used to use the phrase water cooler discussion. That's right. 
we now need to use the phrase ocean of discussion. Mm. <laughs> it's not just a discussion that occurs at the water cooler. Really, if it's, dis- if it's a discussion mm. among people within your profession occurring on social media, it could, it's out there. It's exhaustive. Yeah. It's out there. <clears throat> uh, um, so, but when I asked you how you stay abreast, are you looking for, um, what are your special sources? So we do a number of things. Some of the things that are directly impacting impacting our day-to-day activities, like social media, um, we will be discussing them among one another as lawyers and staying abreast of regulations because it's ever-changing. We also rely on specialty counsel for certain matters. Okay. In-house or out? Both. Um, We may assign an in-house lawyer to a specific project. We also have an intern program which is very exciting. And that is wonderful. One of our female attorneys Something was... Something to keep in mind out there, listeners, at KUCI 88.9 FM, if Ab- you're just tuning in. <laughs> Absolutely, especially those of you at UCI Law School. That's right. We're we- talking to Tanya King. She is in-house counsel, general counsel for ASM, and um, we are learning about your company today. So keep going. I interrupted you, but keep going. <laughs> So one of our interns um, became one of our associates. She's been with us for approximately five years now. So we may assign interns research projects at times to stay abreast of certain legal and regulatory matters. Uh, If something is pressing, it becomes an immediate issue and we don't have the top-level expertise in-house, we will consult with outside counsel. Okay. Um, now, you recently took over an interim senior vice president position for human resources. This, I'm fascinated by this. How did, how did somebody throw another one into your, <laughs> into your <laughs> corner to take care of? Did you just say yes to too many things like so many women do? It was, it was a situation where I was honored um, to take on the interim role. And, you know, I, I, I hope that I am perceived as a collaborative business partner. I I know I am. It's been a decade of experience with Advantage. And we had an immediate need. And I've worked very closely with the human resources department throughout the decade that I've been at Advantage Sales and Marketing. So I was able to uh, assume the position and transition with the help of not only um, a great HR team at Advantage, but also the legal team stepping up and allowing me the opportunity to take on additional responsibility, so it was uh, it was it was something you welcomed. I did. Yeah, wonderful. Okay, so we touched on this a little earlier about ethics and compliance, but why is why has ethics and compliance been so important to you at Advantage Sales and Marketing? Advantage Sales and Marketing history. We consolidated in two thousand four twenty four separate companies. Is this where you're going to tell me the great story? <laughs> that we talked about earlier. We have a great story. Okay, good. Um, our CEO, Sonny King, of which there's no relation, uh, really what spearheaded the consolidation of the sales and marketing broker um, agencies. And it's important to note that prior to the consolidation, a company like Unilever may have been represented by a number of different companies throughout the nation. Geographically, then? Geographically. geographically or just different aspects of their business? Geographically. And that made decision-making more complicated. So Sunny recognized that and, with the assistance of the clients and private equity infusion, consolidated 24 separately owned companies 
And at the time, we realized we not only had legacy issues with each of those, but we also had a need to create common practices and procedures and training among all the associates. like best practice. Now, when you say the associates, you're speaking of separate companies that do what what Sonny did. Correct. Oh, gotcha. Correct. And so he was sort of spearheading getting everybody together on the same page, if you will? Yes. Okay. And one of those areas, we want our associates to feel comfortable when they're presented with ethical dilemmas, which, you know, in the workplace. Come up all the time. Come up all the time in life, in career. So we instituted um, a leading edge compliance program and we trained all of our associates. We now have 30,000 of them. Oh, my. And uh, it is very, compliance is very important as many people know, you know, there's a lot in the news about what happens when a company or an institution fails to comply with law and regulation. And it's not only important for employees to have guidance in that regard, but it's important for us to be enforcing the laws and regulations because ultimately a compliant culture is a prosperous culture. That is true. Now, one of the things that I liked when I was doing my research on ASM was the comment that they say what sets them apart is a winning culture. H- how do you help create that winning culture in your day-to-day job? And describe to us what a winning culture is. Sure. So our winning culture is our ability to be innovative, uh, to support our clients to the utmost of our ability, to provide the expertise that they rely on us for, and ultimately to enjoy and have passion for our jobs. And we've created a culture especially at the leadership level, where people are committed, they're passionate, they're focused, and we've experienced tremendous growth. We, in 2004, became a half-billion-dollar company overnight. And in the last decade, through three private equity transactions, we've become a close to $1.5 billion company. Mm, Interesting. Can-do culture is one of the things that, that you brought up early on. But it's more to that. It, there's There's something more. So... Tell me a little bit about the deeper, how that how that comes into play on a day-to-day. Sure. Under Sunny's leadership and, and soon-to-be um, recently announced, Tanya Domeyer, our president and chief operating officer, is becoming our C- CEO on January 1st. And that's pretty spectacular. Very exciting for but, us. Sunny will remain chairman. Um, Sunny started the company? Sunny started the company. Okay. And then he spearheaded consolidating this industry, which rolled everybody up into this he did. He's a true visionary. Okay. And he didn't stop. We continued with food food brokerage in December of, of 2011. We closed a transaction consolidating that industry as well. So oh. he's he's still so going. He's, he's, a lead, <laughs> he's a leader. He's a he's a visionary. Okay. He definitely is. Um I don't want to I don't want to miss out on talking about um your role as a woman in this company, but also maybe you can speak a little bit about how Remarkable it is that um, Tanya Dormeyer is going to be the CEO of this company. Yes, it's really, it's very exciting. We are um, a company that supports diversity. And what she, does that mean if you say I'm a company that supports diversity? So personally for me as general counsel and as a leader, uh, it's very important that we have diversity within our legal department, diversity objectives within uh, you know, our company's overall operational and strategic focus. Mm-hmm. Our clients expect it, our associates expect it, and we expect it of ourselves. And it's important. It's important to foster opportunity. And we do so regardless um, of gender. Obviously, we have um, a, a CEO, a woman CEO, 
We're very excited about that. Tanya is an industry veteran. She started her career at Smuckers. She has grown um, and really proven herself as a leader within the Advantage Sales and Marketing leadership team over the past 20 years. Okay. Um, Talk to me about living a balanced life while being so involved in the corporate workplace. That's something that's one of your hot buttons that you want to talk to us about today. Yes. I don't know that I've always achieved an appropriate balance. I always find that the person trying to spearhead balance is never the one that gets to have balance themselves. Do you find that as well? <laughs> I think everyone that works for me will say that about me. Yes, I can I can see that already. <laughs> and uh, I do believe... Tanya hobbled in here with a recently broken leg. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, it, it didn't stop her at all. No, it has not. And no crutches, just making her way. That's right. I, I often joke that the uh, when I took over the interim SVP of HR role, I, I broke my leg six or approximately a week later, and uh, I basically said, "I can't run from this. I, I'm going to do two <laughs> jobs." So, back to your question, I think that um, you know it, it's work-life balance is highly individualized, and everyone really needs to be careful to define for themselves exactly what that means. And for me, I'm very passionate about my work. Um, I've dedicated a lot to my career. I am 24-7. Yes. Um, I am, you know, and, and that is okay with me. Yeah. Um, that's what you want. That's what, that's what I want, and that's what I thrive on. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, I have other outside interests, and I am careful to maintain those. Uh, <laughs> they so involve I, breaking your leg. <laughs> <laughs> water skiing, yes. Uh, so I try my best to create that balance. But I do think it's it's a very individualized um, circumstance, and people need to be. I I always advocate to those that work for me that they really need to achieve that as they define it. Well, so give me an example. How 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 do you, as a leader in your company, uh, implement something like that for, or to add that to the mix of the culture? Do you give more vacation days? What does that look like? Sure. So I'm very supportive of vacation. And I don't expect. In other words, even though you're not taking any. <laughs> right. Or if I do, I'm still connected. Yeah. Um, I expect my team to take the time um, to enjoy their, their family, their friends, their you know extracurricular activities. And I try and do my best not to contact them so that they have that appropriate mm-hmm. downtime, which is important. Right, right. How do you give yourself downtime? Is it hard to come by for you? It's a little hard to come by for me, uh, but I do make every attempt to do it. I stay connected as I need to, but uh, I, I try and do my best. Are you ever free if you take a vacation? Not really? Not quite? Not quite. Yeah, yeah, not quite. I had a, I had a feeling. Um, but you do say that lawyers are typically workaholics, so that's something that is not unfamiliar to your profession. And you try to do your best to help your staff lead a balanced life. That's right. Yeah. I, I think people who become lawyers um, oftentimes are workaholics, and they enjoy it. They have a lot of passion for their um, for their job and for their their interests. And so, I think it it blends naturally into personal interests because a lot of people that become lawyers have an active interest in the law. So. They do become workaholics in that regard, but I, I do try and advocate. I do try and advocate as best possible 
for some downtime, appropriate downtime. Right, right. Okay, so if you're just tuning in with us today, we are here in the studio with Tanya King. Tanya is in-house general counsel for um, Advantage Sales and Marketing, ASM. They are, tell us, just give us like the one little one-minute spiel on ASM, just so I know, so I can, I can direct people what to think. This is, this is an interesting role that ASM plays. So ASM, we represent over 1,200 consumer packaged goods companies. Some and that of, means? So that means Unilever, Smuckers, Masterfoods, M&Ms, for example. Anybody that, that packages up food or something to sell in a store. Is that correct? Exactly. Okay. So no services here that we sell where it's all stuff. We, th- we are the sales and marketing arm, in essence, of our consumer packaged goods clients. So if a company says, I want to be in the food business, let's um, use Paul Newman's daughter, for example. Um, she goes in and she says, I have you know a great recipe, want to package it up and sell it. She contacts a company like you and you help them from the beginning and on through to the process of the cu- customer buying the product. That's right. We do everything from... When that product comes off the manufacturing line to the point at which it gets into the consumer's hands at point of purchase, we are behind the sales and marketing efforts. So the shelf placement, um, the negotiation at headquarter for the major retailers, the Albertsons um, and other major retailers, we are doing a lot of the negotiation and the support for our consumer packaged goods company clients. Okay, so educate us a little bit. You said the shelf placement. Yes. When you walk into a store, and those aisles are so neatly organized just so we can find everything, there's a lot that goes behind that, isn't there? There is a tremendous amount that goes behind that, in behind that. Not only that, we are also the function that is merchandising that on a daily basis on behalf of our clients. So when you're in the store sometimes late at night and you see people with... You ask the wrong person for help. <laughs> exactly. And they say, I don't work for the retailer. Right. Um, they may be somebody that's assisting with merchandising, which may be one of our associates. Ah, okay. So talk to me about how some of that has changed. So if you take a product to market, let's just say if we have some entrepreneurial listeners out there and they want to sell something, they've got a great idea... They get, they get uh, the regulatory reasons to produce it, and they go ahead and package it up. Um, that's just not even, that's not even half the battle, is it? It's, it's not. It's, you're absolutely right. So, Give me a little a day in the life of a, an emerging product. So an emerging product oftentimes will need the assistance of a larger consumer packaged goods company. Okay. Oftentimes you'll see emerging <clears throat> products um, start off with shelf placement, not not optimal shelf placement because not at, eye level, <laughs> not eye level, correct? Mm-hmm. Or if the, it's a a product marketed to children, not at their eye level, right? Right. right. Or shopping cart level. So they may um, once they get traction around their sales and their growth is increasing, they may attract a larger consumer packaged goods company, which will then either acquire them or in some way create some for, sort of affiliation with them to then negotiate product placement at shelf level. And the larger companies obviously have more of the optimal shelf placement. Are you buying space in these stores to place the product? That depends on the contractual nature. But but arrangements like that happen. Yes. So if you're a small food startup, you might have some difficulty setting up distribution chains. That's right. You'll have to find another way, maybe through social media, to get heard and to get noticed. Um, before somebody will come and tell you, you sh- your product should be in a bag or a box, right? Right. Okay. Um, 
I'm so fascinated by the dollar stores. <laughs> can we can we get to that part? I'm so excited. It's a great Talk. model. The dollar store is a great model. And it's just uh, one of the trade channels that you handle, right? It is. Okay. So uh, other trade channels would be convenience stores, hardware stores, grocery stores, um, natural and specialty stores, right? Correct. Okay. Talk to me about the dollar store. <laughs> You like the dollar store, I can tell. I'm stuck there. <laughs> so the dollar store has um, a very interesting model. Um, we do merchandising for the dollar store. And uh, different from the larger grocery chains um, and retailer models, the dollar store handles a lot directly through pro- product placement negotiation. Um, but the dollar stores and you know the low price leaders, the WalMarts, et cetera, are becoming a, a, a large competitive have a have a competitive edge at the retailer level. How are they able to sell things at such a low price? Volume purchasing on their part, they're yes. purchasing it at. But how is it that they're purchasing it at greater volumes than let's say a Walmart? I don't even see how that's possible. Interesting. It's that's that's a very good question. It's it's an interesting um, distribution chain purchasing. They may be purchasing product um, by volume. They may be purchasing product by negotiation with that particular product manufacturer for long term volume mm-hmm. purchasing. Oh, okay. So there's very di- there's different mechanisms how that can transpire and the reason why it lowers the margin. What is it saying about the grocery store industry that dollar stores are going into food distribution? It says a lot. Um, it says a lot. The, re- the larger retailers in the grocery chain are paying attention, mm-hmm. are diversifying their services, are, you know, you might have shopped recently in some stores which are offering now a whole organics section. That's true. Or a, um, you know, other products offered or they'll have a coffee bar within the grocery chain. They're really diversifying services in order to remain competitive and offer diversification in their services. They're probably adding all of those extra services on so that we spend money there because we're not spending it on their groceries. I am blown away by how expensive groceries are in a regular grocery store. I stick to the larger retailers and um, have just, like I said, recently ventured out to the dollar stores for certain items. But um, I don't see a lot of lost leaders in the dollar stores, like I do in the grocery stores. Um, the grocery stores have been kind of, you know, they're taking their hits on on a big chunk of their food and selling it at a lower price, but the rest of the stuff is where they're making up their money. You grab an, an item here and an item there that you weren't anticipating, and it is always going to be slightly higher in the grocery stores. How Are you playing a role in helping them strategize? Or I mean, you have a lot of customers that are that are all different models that really all compete with each other. That's that's kind of hard to navigate through, isn't it? All those relationships. Well, that, but we also offer, because we have such tremendous experience at, at all of the various retailers, we offer a lot of experience around strategy, um, general strategy. And I'll give you an example. Okay. We were awarded um, the business at Walmart and Sam's. It's our taste and tips business. Oh. And virtually what we did is we took the traditional demo model and we enhanced it. Uh, you mean food product demonstrations, right? Where you go in, let me let me just bring this home, everybody, so you know what I mean. It's where you go to get lunch when, <laughs> when you're on a budget. That's right. And you walk through the aisles of Costco or you walk through the aisles of, of one of the large retailers and you sample their, their food. That's right. right. Tell and, us about that. And that's okay. Please, have lunch. Um, have lunch on you? Be, 
because you're going to enjoy the products. You're going to like the products. And that's the goal is to increase the product sales uh, through food product demonstration and, and what we call experiential marketing. It's really interactive. Oh, I love that term. It's really an interactive experience so that we are able to profile the product, to educate about the product, and to discuss with the consumer the benefits around the product. It may be a food item. It may be a beauty item. For example, Dove Soap on behalf of Unilever. Um, there may be very different things we're demonstrating at any given time. Now, okay, so you just touched on something called experiential marketing. Is that relatively new to the business world? Or have they always been doing it and just not calling it that? I think they've always been maybe not doing it the way we do it. We've really enhanced the experiential marketing model. Give me some examples of how. Sure. So this interactive component of consumer marketing, for example, um, if you're shopping at a retailer, and you walk in the store and you've got a list of things that you, you know, need to purchase, you may not have a particular brand in mind. We may be able to assist you in making your informed decision. Or influence based on our, us. Or yeah. influence you based mm-hmm. on your, our brand knowledge mm-hmm. and our ability to greet you at the, the front of the store and start having a conversation and dialogue with you about your, your purchasing preferences. Okay. Now, when you say dialogue with you, you're talking about the taste and tips. The tips is where you're maybe giving out a recipe now with that food item. I've noticed that as a big trend. Um, my favorite local Trader Joe's, um, they are always so good at making recipes with their products. Um, wonder, wonderful example is their, <laughs> the, the lentil soup today. <laughs> it's, that's interesting you, you bring that up. We acquired a company. A few years back that actually did the recipe cards that you find. They they authored, created and authored the recipe cards that you find at Walmart's on a circular. And that is one of the ways that we're integrating products in recipes that we are recommending and, and that the consumers really, really like. Um, okay, so that leads me to ask the question of the future of grocery stores. I'm wondering if you could give me an opinion about... The model that we grew up with and what it's going to look like in the future, it's going to be very different, isn't it? Wow. I think it is. I think it's going to be more interactive. I think it's going to be more diversified. I think the shopping experiences, as we were discussing within the retailer, uh, there are more product offerings, um, consumer choices within the retailers. And I think you're going to see more and more of that. Are we going to ever go back to the model? I remember the big peach truck when I first started having my children delivering the food. That did not go over well. What happened? It made so much sense. That didn't go over well. And, you know, I think that consumers like choices. I think consumers like the interaction within the store. I think we like to shop. And the ability to shop, right? Mm -hmm. And the ability to see what is an option for them in a, in a purchasing decision. Were retailers really concerned when that trend was coming about that they might lose the market share to those companies? They shared concern about that, yes. Yeah, because I, I'm fascinated by why that didn't work. It seemed to fit my model for a very small amount of my time raising children. And then there was a time where I just had to get out of the house and I'd use any old excuse. And I wasn't going to have my grocery shipped to the house because I wanted too desperately to leave and walk the aisles of whatever store it was that kind of was my version of a defrag, put my mind back in order because I knew where everything was in the grocery store. Uh, not The same couldn't have been said in my home home. But, um, but, but there is something about being there in the presence of all that stuff and making those choices. Well, I think any UCI law student can relate to this that I recall. Um, 
one of the the best things I did, one of the most exciting things I did my first year of law school was go grocery shopping because it's about the only <laughs> the only thing, thing you did. get to do. That's right. That's right. Well, um, so do you see the major grocery store chains going out of business? I'm noticing in my neighborhood that my local grocery stores, um, five of them just closed. And um, I think that's so strange. You know, they just aren't keeping up. Or do you see a massive consolidation in that? I think they're consolidating. Okay. I think their goal is consolidation and, and efficiency. And, but what about all the specialized food stores like um, Whole Foods, Mother's Markets? Um, I don't I don't know. Is that specialized food distribution if you're saying um, just the organics? Or um, uh, the, we'll have to touch on this soon. We're running out of time, if you can even believe that. Um, then I want to talk about the GMO food initiatives that are coming out too in the upcoming election. But those specialized food distribution changes, I mean, that is phenomenal to me. What has that been like to be in business, in this business that you're in during this time? Well, it's been interesting to watch. We on the West Coast see much more of that. Um, Certain cities see a lot more of um, the Whole Foods, the Trader Joe's, the Mother's Markets um, than in other areas of the country. And I believe you're going to see the retailers invest more in the diversification issue we were speaking about. So like the like the major grocery stores coming up with their own organics line? Perhaps private label, yes. Perhaps okay. private label, perhaps, you know, a section of the store that's focused on gluten-free, which is a big trend right now. Huge, an right. important trend for so many. Um, so many women with their children, it's just the only way they can keep their kids healthy and, and in school every day. Um, do you think this has made us healthier as 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 the, for the human race? Do you think that that's helping us, or do you think there's not that big of a difference? I mean, I just saw today that the obesity rates had climbed to their highest, and so it, it, something's not happening. Like something's not getting into our bodies the way it's supposed to, or too much is getting into our bodies, I guess, is really what's happening. We've made food distribution so efficient, right? Right. Do you, and I think that's why you're seeing more issues like the the GMO initiative on the ballot. I think you'll see more and more of that. And We're talking about genetically modified foods. Yes, and I think you'll see, hopefully for us in experiential marketing, more involvement with the consumer about informing them about product benefits. So you plan on taking a role to actively educate people right in the stores about purchasing those or the need to purchase them or to not purchase them or to tell me where do you, I guess it depends on your client, doesn't it? It depends on the client. Absolutely. And it depends on, you know, the, really the demographic, the marketing demographic of that particular client. So it, it's, we have a, a very diverse um, client representation base. Okay. So let's talk about Proposition 37. Can you tell us about that initiative that's on the ballot? Sure. I can tell you that it's creating an interesting tension um, in the consumer packaged goods industry. It is the the healthy tension of consumer-related choices and education to the consumer about, you know, what is included in food product versus the economics of how that will change the the, the chain of distribution. And it raises a whole host of issues around that. Um, And we... We are educating ourselves around that in order to support where our clients may or may not stand on it. And I suspect that your clients are divided. That's right. You probably represent some that want it and some that don't. Talk to me about who, what types of companies might want this initiative to pass. Sure. So if you're a company very focused on um, natural specialty, that may be something that is promotional for your client-based natural specialty items, organic items, um, 
those that don't aren't in the distribution chain for long periods of time versus a Pepsi, which is, you know, already, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of dialogue around Pepsi creating um, more initiatives around fighting obesity, how they come out with healthier product offerings, et cetera. So you'll, you'll have a diversity of opinion on that. I was just wondering, um, in a lot of ways, when we, the California did all those um, clean air laws in, in the 80s, it, for because we have such a big market share in California, it forced that to kind of go across the country. Well, Prop 37 kind of do that where Pepsi decides, oh, it's cheaper just to mark our product GMO in California. And then because the packaging needs to be nationwide, or is it going to just leak in other parts of the Western uh, United States? Or how is that going to work exactly? You know, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. It's a, it's a great question, and I think that time will tell. I think, yeah. you know, we're the front runners here, so time will tell, and it, it'll be very interesting to watch the response. What, what, do you think, um, what do you think some of the changes are that need to happen in the industry? It, from, from the perspective of law and regulation? Yes. Well, you know, in, in our role as legal advisors to the company, um, we're really looking more towards um, less of what the GMO type initiatives are. We really stay abreast of those on behalf of our clients so that we're educated. Um, but really, I think we're going to need to start looking at social media. Uh, back to the social media realm. Okay. I think it affects... You mean to help people be educated so that they can be influenced in their decisions? That, as well as creating, you know, opportunity for growth with your product placement, for marketing capabilities. I mean, social media has taken on such a prominent role in the ability of the consumer packaged goods industry to reach its clientele. Okay. Um you also serve on a board of a water company. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? I'm, I'm interested in this story. Yes, I serve as a director of Voss Water. Okay. Voss is a premium water brand headquartered out of Oslo, Norway, and um, very, very strong brand, great water, uh, bottled at its source in Norway. Okay. And in that capacity, I've really had the opportunity to provide um, business oversight, typical corporate governance um, matters as a director, really focused on the strategy associated with Voss brand growth. Right. It's been an exhilarating experience for me. And interesting. Because, because why? Well, interesting. Um, coming out of a food sales and marketing broker agency general counsel role, I've had a lot of opportunity at, to experience U.S. retail. And Voss is entering the U.S., has entered the U.S. retail market. Right. So it's been interesting um, to help advise as a director of how best, you know, to position the Voss brand within the U.S. retail market. Okay. And that's how you, that's the role that you serve when you're, when you're involved with your, I'm sorry, <laughs> my, my headphones won't pull far enough away. So I'm sitting in this little cramped, crunchy kind of position. I'm going to come a little more towards you. Sure. Um, Okay, so how how does something like that come to you at this stage of your career? Are you asked to be participate? I was asked. A former director on one of our uh, boards reached out to, to me about a year ago and asked if I'd be interested in the opportunity. And interestingly enough, uh, Norway instituted a regulation in 2006 requiring 40% of all boards to be represented by women. So that's fascinating. 
It's fascinating. Uh, there are other countries, Spain is one of them, that are evaluating this model as well. And what do you think is causing that movement? I think diversity of opinion. Oh, okay. Perspective. Are they starting to value us more? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I think we have a lot to contribute. To I agree. Contribute, but more importantly, I think we're doing all the shopping, and maybe that might be why. Absolutely. Um, tell me more about the initiative in Norway, and do you think it's going to be something that we take up here in the United States? That'll be interesting to watch. There are a lot of um, reports that have been produced to show whether or not this has had an impact economically on the performance of companies in Norway. Okay. So, too soon to tell at this point, but I think what's very telling is that other countries are watching this. They are creating legislation around this issue, and I, I believe that they see the value that's created by the diversification of opinion in providing oversight at a director level by women. Okay, wonderful. Well, okay, with that said, let's bring it a little bit more local. I'm sure, and I want to know a little bit about roles that you've maybe played as a mentor to some uh, young business people, whether they be women or young men. Um, But tell me, are there any people in Orange County that you admire that you can tell us about that you have looked up to and um, sought out as mentors? Absolutely. I really admire um, our CEO. I have to say, okay. uh, I've worked for him for a decade. And once again, not related to, but you share the same last name. Correct. So. Thank you. He is truly an entrepreneur. We never lost our entrepreneurial focus throughout a decade of incredible that is growth. so uncommon in a company, but, but significant and noteworthy because the company you have is so big. That's right. To preserve that through the growth we've experienced is, is notable. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. And, you know, Tanya, as she assumes her CEO role, she's worked for Sunny for 20 years. Oh, really? So I do believe we're going to continue this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are so many amazing companies in Orange County, you know, Broadcom, making the list mm. of the fortune, you know, companies to work for. And I think that the leadership at, at those companies... Um, Truly, truly remarkable. And some of the local lawyers that I've worked with in Orange County as well. Now, you were nominated for the Orange County Business Journal's General Counsel Award for several years. And um, I understand you won this year. What's that feel like for you? Truly remarkable. I feel so honored to have won that award among so many esteemed colleagues. There are so many wonderful general counsels in Orange County for large companies they, we have complex jobs. Yes, you do. So I was truly honored to win that award. And can you speak to what are some of the advantages of being a woman, or maybe even still if there are several disadvantages in the corporate world and, and as a lawyer? I feel very fortunate that I feel as though throughout my career I, I've always been provided opportunity based on my, my skill, my expertise, and my, my focus and dedication However, I understand that not everyone has has had that experience. So as we look at, you know, the glass ceiling challenges that have have women that women have struggled with over the years, I feel as though more of us that can show the dedication, the focus, the commitment, the loyalty to organizations as women and to provide mentor roles to other women who are entering into the workforce, I think that's what we can do. 
um, as women to promote the diversity and the candidacy and success of women in the workplace. So with that being said, you know, we probably have a lot of listeners here on campus today. Um, If you're just tuning in and you want to know who our guest is today, it is Tanya King. Tanya is General Counsel for ASM Advantages um, Sales and Marketing. It's a $1.4 billion company here in Orange County that has spearheaded a great deal of um, industry um, innovation and changes in the consumer packaged goods. I'm learning about this, and I'm starting to sound like I know what I'm talking about, Um, consumer packaged goods industry. But um, Tanya is also an adjunct law professor here at UCI. Tell us a little bit more about that involvement. And I also want to welcome anybody to reach out to you and um, seek advice as um, a mentor as well. If you're listening and you want to know more, um, want to learn more about Tanya and her story. So tell us a little bit more about your involvement with UCI. Sure. And please don't hesitate to reach out for me. I was an adjunct professor in the paralegal program at UCI. And it was a tremendous opportunity for me to contribute to not only the development of the curriculum around the paralegal program, preparing paralegals for jobs in Orange County, but it was also a great teaching opportunity, um, which I very much enjoyed. And as a matter of fact, um, I hope to become more involved in UCI's corporate college of that's law. That's really exciting that that's coming together. Are, are they consulting people today? Are they pulling that program together? Do you see yourself as being in a, a part of that as it comes together? Absolutely. I would welcome that opportunity. And then you're serving in a law mentoring program, too. Is there more that you want to tell us about that? Sure. I think a very important part of... Uh, being a legal professional in Orange County is to assist those that are entering in the profession to maximize their opportunities. And in so doing, I think it's important for each and every one of us to provide time. And um, You mean you give of your time to somebody that wants to hear from you? I do, and I also created an intern program at Advantage, which I spoke of which offers um, first or second year law students to apply for a summer associateship, which is very similar to what law firms do. That's remarkable because is that something that has existed commonly in in in-house counsel roles? It is not, and it's been very successful for us. As I mentioned, we have an attorney who started in our intern program. Right, and it seemed like you promoted from uh, within or from, from that program, which is significant. It's something that you didn't have the advantage of when you first started out. And you mentioned earlier in the show taking the different path from instead of going um, as a lawyer and signing on as an intern and then going to work towards partnership in the law firm, you took an in-house counsel position, which is not typical for a lawyer. So it's something that we want to encourage people to contact you about and you might even consider that as how you start your career rather than coming around to it and I think we've seen a sea change with respect to the role of in-house lawyers there are many more today than there were a decade ago because the economics make sense so again UCI law schools college of law corporate law is going to be very helpful in that process and I think you're going to see more intern programs to help facilitate the development of in-house associates well and we want to encourage our listeners if they do uh, hear anything that interests them here today to contact um, you at ASM Um, Tanya what does the future hold for you I hope more opportunity at Advantage Sales and Marketing, Uh more leadership opportunity, perhaps more um, diverse opportunity. I would like and welcome more board 
director opportunities. Sure. I thoroughly enjoy that. And, you know, civic responsibility um, is important to me. So I welcome more opportunity to contribute to the the community within Orange County. Good. And then... If, there, if you could give us some final advice for those who hope to become a lawyer someday, what can you share with us? Have passion and seize opportunity. Uh, really, if you're passionate about what you do and you seize opportunity without question, take it on, um, take charge, and um, run with it, I think incredible opportunities will result. Uh, You are certainly an example of that coming together for you. So I want to thank you today for coming in and talking to us about your industry. I'm thoroughly fascinated by it. As a mom and a, a, you know, a shopper, (laughs) I will just say, (laughs) I interact with your industry every single day. And I am so fascinated by the inner workings around it. So you've really shared a lot of the insights today, the inside track, if you will. So um, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for the opportunity. And thank you to all of the listeners and, and best of luck in your careers. Yes. Thank you so much. Heather, back to you. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, Counter Spin is up next at 5 o'clock. And then after that, uh, Planetary Radio at 5.30. And then the music begins again with Things Are Square with Kyle. And we'll return after these short messages.